Suzanne Pedersen in her ninth Solheim Cup with this to win the trophy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ninth tee. Joined as always by the one, the incomparable, Mr. Ben Harpering, a womansgolf.com. Mr. Ben, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you I'm, so much. I'm really straining to come up with new emphasis points on that intro for you, but good to hear you're doing good. We're excited to have Sarah Kellum. Currently a contributor to The Nine, writing a weekly golf column on Thursday, titled Golf Thursday. Was a PA at the Golf Channel for two years. Uh, Also played golf at Northern Kentucky University. Most impressively, first women's golf individual title winner in the school's Division I history. Sarah, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm super glad to be here. Hey, Ben, did you notice her resume is better than yours? Uh I did, um, especially pertaining to golf. Um, <laughs> it was very, very impressive. I appreciated it. A lot, of, a lot of hard work, a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of dedication. It's something I've been doing since I was really young. It was um, my dad's. He was never going to have a cheerleader. He was never going to have a dancer. He had a, um, a woman who fishes, a basketball player back in the day, and then uh, very much so a golfer now. So, yeah, I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> I'm glad I did. Well, by the basketball trash talking tangents that uh, me and Ben have gone on, but what was your first, what's your first memory in golf? Oh, goodness. Um, I would, (sighs) the first memory is really challenging. The one that stands out the most when I was younger, we, um, we moved to Kentucky when I was two. So the club that we ended up belonging to in our County was really small. Didn't really have a lot of girls my age playing so a lot of time it was me and my dad and my little brother he'd just kind of take us out and we'd go out and play and, and you know play from the 150 yard uh, marker in and, and just kind of keep it fun that way but the there <laughs> there was a uh, LPGA USGA girls golf camp um, that was taking place at a course about 20 minutes or a practice facility about 20 minutes away from us and I'll never forget it I went I reckon one of the ladies that was doing it was a member at our club and I had a lot of fun I met a lot of girls but, and my dad tells the story, so I kind of faintly remember this, but not this vividly. Um, so I was hitting balls and they had these little like nets that were like 50 yards away. And I just kept hitting them and hitting them and hitting them. And I'd hit the net. I just kept hitting the net. And which I wish translated now. It doesn't really happen that often now. But um, my, there was a lady there. Her name was Julie Zimbrot. Um, she is, uh, was just standing there watching me and like saw me hitting these balls. And she was like, who's that kid? And then she ended up, um, I guess, talking to my dad after the camp and, and we got kind of hooked up and she was my, my junior instructor, really taught me the basics and ins and outs of the game. So that's probably my earliest memory. You know, I remember getting up really early and my dad used to always fix us Cheerios with banana in it. And like <laughs> before golf tournaments, that was like our fuel. That was like what we had to eat. So um, I remember that a lot. I remember a lot of the early mornings, but nothing really specifically besides besides that. I'd started competitively when I was seven. So I kind of remember like, you know, going out and playing the nine hole tournaments and being the only girl or being one of two girls on the on the tour that we played on. So it's been a very, very long <laughs> career. So it's hard to just pinpoint. Did you maintain that Cheerios and bananas tradition throughout your college career? Um, no. There were oh. um, just 
we were in a hotels a lot. So there was a lot of hotel breakfast. I, I didn't eat much to be quite honest before college events. Um, I would usually eat a lot of bananas if there was like some yogurt. Um, but I, you know, just didn't, didn't subscribe to that. And honestly, our snacks on the golf course were way better than the breakfast at the hotels anyway. So I would just kind of wait and, you know, eat on course as, as much as I could. But um, high school, it kind of merged into a lot of McDonald's um, back in the day when they had the Southern style chicken biscuit, the Sprite. That was my jam. So Ooh, that's dangerous. <laughs> that's good. It was standard, absolutely standard. So you had a lot of golf involved in, in your life and then it kind of started to translate into your professional career, not necessarily as a golfer, but you worked in the golf industry. So you ended up working as a production assistant at Golf Channel. Um, what's some, some of your favorite memories as a production assistant? I had a blast. I'll be honest with you, Golf Channel. It's funny when I got that job, not only did they put it in my small town, we're, I'm from a very, very small town. They put it in my small town newspaper and I had old professors and old teachers like messaging me and be like, oh my gosh, like you're doing what you said you were going to do. Nobody ever does what they said they're going to do. And I'm like, I, I got really lucky, but I think like, I don't really have specific memories. I got to field produce a lot. So that was, that was my favorite thing, obviously being a player and being in that tournament atmosphere. Um, I got to do, I think while I was there full-time, I got to do like six or seven events. And then I had a couple opportunities back in November and December on top of everything that I had done before. But um, a lot of the people too, like Brandel Chambly was somebody I never imagined getting to know. And I'll never forget it. He, so at Golf Channel, they used to have a, um, he'd walk down the hallway towards the studios and there's this little analyst room. And that's where he would just kind of camp out. That was like his space. So I remember when I had first started, it was about seven or eight months in, I was working on something in my golf swing and I just was really struggling with it. Like didn't know how to get it fixed. And I went in and I was like, Hey, cause my dad had told me, he's like, well, go ask Randall. Like he's, he's cool. He likes you. You'll be fine. I was like, Oh God. Okay. Um, and so I went in and I was like, Hey, here's a video. It's not the best quality. Cause I took it myself and there was no one out there to take it for me. What do you see? And it's funny, in literally five minutes, he took something that I had been working on for like six months and just made it make so much more sense. So that was that was one of my really cool memories. You know, sometimes people saying some things, you know, on air that you kind of influence them to say, which is kind of neat. Um, and then back in back in November, <laughs> um, I guess it was actually early December, but at the Mayakoba Golf Classic, Victor Hovland won. And in a field producing situation, you kind of have to work with your talent to just get interviews and get sound and, and kind of roll with what's going on. So George was busy with the broadcast and um, we were kind of scrambling to make sure we got everything. And we're working with the uh, media officials of the PGA tour just to make sure things were buttoned up. Well, Victor Hovland walks over. I'm over here trying to get um, Daniel Berger and completely and totally miss him. And <laughs> I'm like, I turn, I hear my name and I turn around and Victor Hovland's walking up to the podium. So I run over, I grab the mic because George wasn't around. He was still with the broadcast. He couldn't like leave the broadcast. And so I asked, um, I asked Victor Hovland questions. And about 15 minutes later, my phone blew up. I was like, what is going on? And I start to read the text messages while my camera guy went and got the uh, trophy shot with Victor. And it was like, oh my gosh, you just got a shout out on Golf Channel. You just got a shout out on Golf Channel. And that happens sometimes. But I think our talent had tossed the, to the interview with George 
and then it was my voice so we had to kind of like clean it up on the back end but it was hilarious everybody was like oh my gosh you were on like like free and then my uncle called me a couple weeks later and he was like what did I hear about this you on golf channel I was like it was my voice you couldn't see me <laughs> it's normal like I, I know it's cool because it's cool but like eh, like it's fun <laughs> like, but it was uh that one was pretty funny that that, that one's definitely definitely up there just because of the randomness and the the I guess hilarity of it because it was so unexpected and then you know everybody was like freaking out I'm like oh gosh okay so I actually I ended up getting a copy of it just because you know why wouldn't you want one so yeah it sounds like there's a lot of like go with the flow with that job and like be prepared for anything kind of stuff (laughs) yeah you'll never see the same day twice and that was something I always really enjoyed about it is you could come into the office or you can even go out in the field and one day you're working on highlights or creating graphics for the show or um, Jaime Diaz has an essay that needs to be cut and voiced and tracked and you come in at 10 and you have till six and if it's not ready by six then can't run it like it's it was definitely kind of a different job in that way where it's not the traditional all right you have one job for the day it's 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 fun because it you can kind of bounce around and do a little bit of everything what are some of your favorite or one of your favorite LPGA memories oh <laughs> So I'm going to, I'm going to tell him myself. Um, and I, I, I put this story in the nine. I was talking about Annika Sorenstam a few weeks ago and I put the story in the nine and one of my buddies texted me and kind of gave me some crap about it. But there used to be a tournament um, that was up at Tartan Fields in Columbus, Ohio called the Wendy's Championship for Children. Northern, where I'm from, is about three hours away. Me and my dad um, would make a point to go every year. And one year for some unbeknownst reason, I don't know if it was just a scheduling thing or like what happened, but Annika was at this event. So my favorite player, like I'm a, I love her. I'm obsessed with her. I've met her a couple or like two or three times and I'm always speechless. Like I have no decorum around that woman and I don't know why. (laughs) Um, But I was probably nine, maybe eight or nine and kids, you're an autograph hound. That's all you want. You just want the autographs. You watch the golf shots. That's kind of cool. But you want to see the players, you want to talk to them, you want their autograph. So we're standing on the range and I had bought her, um, her book, the How I Play Golf book and um or golf on it way I can't remember the name of it but I had her book and I you know begged my dad for it had the book it was great I had this little hat that I had you know been having everybody sign and we're just standing there and my dad he tells it way better than I do but he goes all of a sudden you're you just took off and I'm not a runner <laughs> like I'm, I'm moonlighting this one right now but he's like you went and bolted so what had happened I had seen Annika out of the corner of my eye get into a golf cart. And I knew if she got in that golf cart, I was never going to see her again. So I just bolted and chased her down, like hollering at her, trying to get her to stop. And she ended up telling the, very nicely telling the cart guy to stop. Um, and I ended up getting her autograph and getting her, um, getting her, you know, signature on my hat. Um, but those, those events were some of my favorite memories. You know, I got to walk down tee boxes when I was little with Natalie Galvis and Laura Davies and, you know, talked to Morgan Pressel when she was you know, young and still kind of trying to get her start and get, get acclimated. So those are some of my favorites. I'll be honest, field producing for the CME uh, group tour championship back in December was really fun for me too. It kind of made everything come full circle. Something, you know, I'd always wanted to do was play professional golf and I'd always wanted to work for golf channel, did that. And I think there's still part of me that would love to play professional golf, but you know, it's just getting to that point where it's just not as realistic as it should be. But being there and seeing 
these players, um, even seeing like a girl I played high school golf against, um, we played together once at a, a random event in Metali. And, you know, seeing her and catching up with her was really cool. It's just, it was a neat experience. Um, I was very, very excited. <laughs> and um, like, you know, sitting there listening to Christy Kerr do quick quotes, it kind of hit me that this is somebody that I wanted to be. I love Christy Kerr. I think she's great. Somebody I wanted to be, and I'm standing five feet away from her. And if I want to, I can ask her any question I want. Like, it's just neat to, to kind of see things come full circle for yourself like that. You got to see or have a lot of these connections with a lot of the, the women of the LPGA, I guess, even since you were a child. Growing up, you start to work in the golf industry. What led you to working, doing some work with the Nine Newsletter? So I was, so I basically got laid off from Golf Channel in August of 2020. A lot of people, um, very good people lost their jobs and I didn't really know what was next. Um, kind of was just trying to figure out money and decided to move home. And right when I moved home, I had reached out to Bethany Nichols of Golf Week just because I really admire what she does um, week in, week out. I mean, she, she is <laughs> like one of the best to ever cover the game. Um, you know, right up there with Randall Mel, Ron Syrak, like Bethann is who everybody talks about. So I was like, hi, um, I had put in for a job with golf. We hadn't heard anything. I was just like, Hey, I just wanted to, you know, get any advice for someone that like wants to get in the golf writing space and all this stuff. And she was great responded. We kind of talked for a second. And then obviously that like, I just made the connection and moved on. And then I got an email about a week or two after that, um, a lady named Carly Grenfell, um, who's actually Mel Reed's fiance was leaving for a job with the PGA tour. And this gentleman named Howard Magdal um, was looking for someone to fill the golf Thursday slot. So he had emailed Beth Ann to see if she had any recommendations. And then she gave his, my info to him. So it, he kind of reached out. Um, I didn't really know much about the nine at that point. I hadn't heard of it. I, you know, wasn't really super familiar. And then when he kind of, we called and had like a good 30, 40 minute conversation about what the point of it was. And as a female in sports and as a female in golf, very, very interested in that part of part of the game. And I love to write. I've always loved to write, but I've never really had an outlet to do so. I just kind of sit down and crank out stuff for fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when that opportunity came about and it looked like something that was going to be feasible for me to do every week with, you know, not really having anything on the table, it's I jumped and, you know, I'm, working on my 15th week. We're going to be, you know, next, next golf Thursday is going to be my 15th golf Thursday. And it's crazy that it's already been that long. <laughs> like, I feel like it, I've just started doing this, but it's been a lot of fun. I've really been able to use a lot of contacts that I've made in the industry um, and really highlight a lot of really cool women doing a lot of really cool things in the game right now, which I'm really grateful to have had that opportunity. It's difficult to see, you know, Beth Ann is the, the queen of LPGA coverage. And you just mentioned a couple names. There aren't many names in general covering the women's game in particular. And I saw you respond to a tweet from golf.com about which player would you buy stock of over the next five years? And shortly before this recording, I saw there were 473 replies. Okay. Five replies involved women golfers. Yourself, myself, three others. So roughly 1% of people picked a woman. What have you learned over these 15 or coming up on week 15 with a nine about how difficult it is and what things are possibly done to change the fact that only 4% of sports coverage in general is towards female athletes? It's a loaded question. I, 
you know, you always know it. Like you always know it. As somebody that worked in television, you've seen it firsthand. It just, for some odd reason, we don't tell the stories of these women like we should. And I think, you know, the USGA did a great job with the Women Worth Watching campaign. I mean, and had a killer trio of Bailey Shambly, Hallie Ledbetter, and Kira Dixon as far, their content team for that week. And they, they murdered it. I think people have chosen to ignore it. And we're getting to the point where you can't really ignore it. I mean, look at last weekend. Um, you had a 60, only the fifth 60 ever be shot on the LPGA Tour on Saturday shot. And then you had three of the best in the game duking it out with two sisters in the final group. Like, if you don't want to watch that, I don't know what you want to watch. <laughs> like, I, I think... I think it's just people aren't as aware of what's going on and there are outlets to do so. And I think, you know, people like Beth Ann, people like Julie Williams, um, who's telling the amateur stories, the um, college golf and the Augusta National Women's Amateur amateur stories, like those kinds of stories. I think there's ways to connect. I just don't think people are automatically inclined to go that way, which is frustrating. It's just, you know, as a, as a female athlete, or former female athlete and, you know, seeing a lot of really incredible female athletes just not get what they deserve. Because when people hear the word golfer, they think first thing they think of is the men. It's, um, it's frustrating, but I think we're getting to a point where more people are engaging. And I think we're getting to a point where people are starting to go, Oh my gosh, they look like me. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald got into an interview with the LPGA and said, I watch more LPGA tour golf than I do PGA tour golf because the way these women are so consistent. And I think too, if you're a fan of the game and you come at it from a, these people, these women play like me, these women play like me, they have to hit fairways. They have to hit greens in order to be successful. They can't bomb and gouge it. And yeah, I think it's just trying to flip the narrative a little bit. And I think it's, I think it's changing people's mindsets as far as what constitutes the game. It is a global game. It is a men's and women and women's game. It's not just a men's game. So we're getting there. It's, you know, it's always going to be an uphill battle in sports in general, but I think something that I've noticed over the past, you know, 15 weeks of doing this, but in general, the last couple of years is people are starting to pay more attention and that's refreshing to see. And, and hopefully we can get to a point where, it's just as important. It's just as valued as the men are. I've seen thoughts which are fair, right? Like in women's sports, right? It's it's the LPGA, the Ladies Professional Golf Association. It's the WNBA. It's the Women's National Basketball Association. Well, on the men's side, it's just PGA, just NBA. And it's almost on a subconscious level, you're kind of being told, okay, well, here's the big one. And then here's the secondary one because we're ascribing their gender to it. And it's to your point where you were mentioning that the golf is so good <laughs> to keep it PG. Like if, yeah. if if you are hoping to see great golf and you're talking about, you know, distance, I don't think it's been driven home enough that the women play the distance that people are advocating the men to play based on their driving distance, mm-hmm. right? It's equivalent of around 8,200 yards on average. So it's difficult when people don't even bother to look. Well, and I think to that point, think about, this is a conversation, I talked to my dad a lot about golf. (laughs) We um, We were having the other day. It's not the ladies tee. It never was the ladies tee. It's the forward tee. 
And I'm sorry, if you're a 27 handicap, you need to be playing from the forward tees. It's not the ladies tees. I had an instance um, a few years ago and I'll never forget it. I usually play from, I try to play from like a 59 to a 63 hundred yard range. Cause I apparently hate myself. <laughs> and That's, you know, that's what I played in college. And that in my brain is what golf is to me. And, um, I'll never forget it. I was teeing off at a course that I had worked at. I worked with this gentleman, like he knew who I was, but still didn't even, and he stopped what he was doing to tell me where the ladies tees were. And I was just like, number one forward tees. And I couldn't be, I knew who he was. So I was like, Oh, thanks. You know, whatever. And then I just drove away, but it's, it's things like that. And, you know, things like not being able to play through, you know, a foursome of men, when you're a single female playing from the blue tees at a course, it's like, it, it's just, I think, and I think a lot of people come at it from a context of what they see at their clubs. And, you know, it, depending on the level of whoever's playing, you might have a certain predisposition to think that, okay, it's a girl, they're not going to play well because of what I know. I think it's just getting in people's heads and being like, no, it's the forward tee. It's not the ladies tee or, regardless of gender, if there's a single person behind a foursome, you should let me through because I'm just going to be hitting it up your, you know what, all day. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's just, I think it's just something that's inherently happened in the sport. And again, like I said, I think we're getting into a different frame of mind. Um, I'm starting to have foursomes let me through just as much as I have them don't let me through now. <laughs> it just kind of depends on the day, but yeah, I think it's just um, getting people to really see things differently, which can be a challenge. Yeah, that you just reminded me of a couple of things. Um, I've had a conversation. Um, I've gotten to know Hannah Gregg pretty well. I don't know if you know who Hannah is, but she talked to me about, you know, how many times to this day where she's at the range and just some, you know, amateur hack has it in their mind that, hey, she needs some advice. I think I need to give her some swing tips. Oh, really? You, you, um, the one who's, chunking like half your shots and and just because and it's just because at the end of the day most likely just because she's a woman like what gives I don't know it's such a weird process that happens you don't really see men walking up to other men on the range it's always like oh look a lone woman she's at on the range by herself let's go give her some advice and the other thing um to your other point though about foursome starting to let you through and and some things like that something starting to make some progress um i think golf clubs have some responsibility too. like show show the lpga when they're playing like get them on your tv screens and, and allow people the quote unquote the members that have been used to a certain way start to see so you don't have that four, so that four handicap who says he could win on the LPGA tour. <laughs> so he can see how, oh, no, Jessica Corda, she shot a 60 from the set, like 6,700 yards. Mm, there's no way I could compete with that. Like, there's just no way. And what I thought about that, right? You had the, the discourse on Twitter about whether or not the Sunday production was valuable or not for fans. And I just thought, isn't this, so clearly highlighted that you know marty fish who won is a good golfer and aaron hicks can hit the ball a mile these guys have no hope competing against the lpga players let alone your hypothetical four index where you're like oh from the forward tees they're gonna crush it like the average four index hasn't played in a tournament setup period right <laughs> to what are what are tucked pins to an average person 
And I don't understand, I don't think people understand that this isn't, we're not just hit and giggle out here. Like it, this ain't just for fun. I mean, Kevin Kisner said it, um, this ain't no hobby boys. And it's the same thing for the women. They work just as hard and they are work. I mean, if you want to see Lexi Thompson training, get on her Instagram, like they train just as hard. They practice just as hard. They do as much, um, sometimes with not as many resources. And it's like, it's just disrespectful. Like <laughs> you don't get to, I don't care who you are. I don't care, you know, what pull you think you have on any sort of social media platform, but you don't get to say that. Like, you just don't get to say that. Um, and again, you know, I've played in some decent sized events, you know, it, <laughs> and when I played in the U.S. Women's Pub Links, I shot 72-79 and eked in, like barely made it to match play and was out of like two or three, two, maybe two shots out of like a five or six way playoff. And it's like, those and those are some of the best women amateurs i mean lucy lee played that year and made it no problem but like it, it i just don't think people i just don't think, think people get that again it's not just for funsies we're we're out here the women are out there busting their rear ends just as hard as the men do so it's just again it's just ignorance a lot of it's just ignorance and it's a lot of of choice you can you can find the content it's not hard log on to golf week go look at what Jillian beth ann put out every week i mean it's I find all the links for the nine. It's a ton of stuff and it's good quality stuff. I mean, the LPGA site's valuable for that same reason. So it's like, you just, you're just choosing to be stupid and that's your problem. <laughs> Do you think a mixed president cup style event would help that help that discourse? I think any sort of mixed event at this point is going to be beneficial for both tours. I, I think it would be really cool to have that for the president's cup. I think that's such a cool event to begin with that I think if you made it, you know, teams of, I don't even know how many players, I think like 15, if you made it, you know, and split it evenly or tried to split it as evenly as you could between international men and women and American men and women, I think it'd be a really cool event. I think at this point for the women's game, we just need to focus on getting a mixed event at all. One of the, one of the events I've always kind of thought of, to do that. Um, and I'm not trying to put anything on, you know, anybody in particular, but I, you know, you think about the hero world challenge, the hero world challenge is a really fun event for the men. And it, you know, it has 18 of the top men. So why don't we have 18 of the top men and 18 of the top women? Like, can you imagine a freaking Jin Young Co Rory McIlroy pairing? Like how cool would that be? And I mean, these guys respect these women. It's not, you know, you, you, Bryson DeChambeau respects Lexi, you know, Justin Rose created his own women's series because he respects women's golf so much. Like these, these men respect these women. Like, I think you could get it done. Um, as far as a president's cup goes, I would be all about that. Like, I would love to see that in a match play format. I think if we could get any sort of mixed event at all, though, it would do wonders for both, both tours and do wonders for, you know, the, the women's golf kind of platform. I mean, you look at what the NBA did for the WNBA, <laughs> you know, like it, it brought it to the forefront. People were, you know, people pay attention to it. Like they, they you know, they try it, they use their platform to elevate it. And I think the PGA tour could do that with a mixed event. Um, the European tour has done it. And I think it, I think it would be very much possible for the PGA tour to do that as well. To that point, Justin Rose took the step of going beyond us. I respect women. It's here's my platform. I'm going to provide more opportunities. Is that something, this is something that I've wrestled with as a central tenet of this issue of 4% of coverage. Who's responsible for this, right? There's the business argument that, oh, 
clicks are being generated for the men's. This is where we're going to invest more because there's there's more people wanting it by clicks. Versus if you pumped in more coverage, if you had, if you could clone Beth Ann Nichols, <laughs> make maybe a slightly different style of her, but that dedication, that knowledge level, you know, five times over, would that lead to being enough of priming the pump to get people to actually read and follow consistently? Because I, the, the litmus test I would have is how many people would know who the world's number one golfer as a woman is. I don't think that many know that it's Jin Young Ko. And I remember talking with their caddy and some guy walked up to him at an event. He was wearing the Rolex number one bib. <laughs> and and, and the, the fan goes, is your girl any good? Just the the lack of market awareness, which again, there are great reporters. Not everyone's going to see everything they do. It's just by like, is it by lack of volume? That in like lack of company decisions where someone could get ahead? Like if uh, a hypothetical organization is like, all right, we're going to go hire 10 LPGA writers. Mm-hmm. Would that be enough to get it to change as a thought process or is it something else? I think it's a little bit of both. I think in, in, on the television side of things, things, there needs to be more. The fact that, you know, people kind of made it an issue with the NBC coverage, but I'll tell you what, and I get it. I get where they're coming from. I see that very fairly see their point. I'm happy to see that the Diamond Resorts was on NBC. Like, I think we, like, that's that's a move in the right direction. Like, that's a big deal um, that it was on NBC and that, yes, okay, was it, could it have been, you know, to their point, could it have been handled better? Maybe. But the fact that it's on NBC is a big deal. There probably needs to be more from a television standpoint. It's just really hard to do that, I think when the product has already been sold, <laughs> like it's hard to kind of retroactively, you know, make time slots and, and do different things that way. Um, I think from a media standpoint, I think there's plenty and I think there definitely could be more. I mean, there always can be more when it comes to women in sports in general, but it, I look at what the USGA did. The USGA took the U S women's open said, okay, it's a solo week. We have nothing else going up against it. We are going to inundate you with coverage. And to me, they set the standard for how every women's major should be covered going forward. And, you know, people, people were engaging and people were paying attention and that's kind of what we need. <laughs> like you need some fun social content. You need some fun writing. You need some fun, you know, even just getting them on TV, like even more. So I, I think it's definitely, you have to change the perception, but I think you change the perception by getting people to connect with the story. You're going to connect with people. It's, you're going to connect with the fact that, you know, Jin Young-Ko and Se Young Kim knew each other when they were younger. Like you're going to connect with that story. You're going to go, oh man, there could be a rivalry here because they, you know, they've grown up together and Jin Young's younger and like, you know, she, all of this stuff, you're going to connect with that. You're not going to connect with without knowing some of the background information. And that's just as much in the consumer as it is the producers. Um, but we definitely need some more <laughs> of it to, to just, we just needed to keep telling stories as best we can and, and, you know, kind of lay responsibility on the consumer to choose to engage. If a mixed presence cup event happened, if, if that glorious ratings bonkers event happened for the women's game, who would win? To the Americans versus the world. That's hard. <laughs> It'd be pretty square. I'll tell you that right now. It'd be pretty square. 
um, with the talent, as far as from a female standpoint, the talent that you have internationally compared to the American talent, like it would be very square. <laughs> I think maybe the American would have just a little bit of an edge just because like, I think the men, as far as that goes, are a little bit like you saw at the last president's cup. They just have a little bit more, but I, I honestly don't know. Like that's a, that's a loaded question because I think you, you're going to be very evenly matched male and female on each side of that coin. I think, you know, I think your Abe answers, I think your um, Sung JMs, I think, you know, those kind of guys will step up for the international team. And then obviously you have world number one, world number two, and then you have, you know, on the American female side, you have the Cordas, Danielle Kang, Lexi Thompson. Like, I think it just really, Ooh, that would be very evenly matched, which would make even more of a reason for it to be a great watch. So that's kind of my hot take. I don't know if Ben has a hot take. <laughs> I don't know if that's a hot take. That was actually very <laughs> lukewarm because you said that's you don't a, know. <laughs> that's, really take. That's, my, that's my mildly chilly take. <laughs> yeah. Well, my so five and balmy take. <laughs> I I personally think that the, the international squad would start because it would depend on how they'd set it up, I think, right? Because without without a lot of background or history of mixed events we have a couple that your ladies european tour or the european tour have done a couple and uh, the australian let's see the alpga oh they just changed their name too they have a different name now but the tour in australia they've done a mixed event but like how does it get set up how like what are the distances like what is the exact setup but the the dominance of this is a conversation kent and i have a lot is about like south korea to make that olympic team is the most difficult thing to do. And one of the most difficult things to do in all sports, to be quite honest, because yeah. you have four spots inside the top 15. I think there's currently, is it seven or eight players inside the top 15 right now? I think it's seven. Seven. It's like, it's kind of in the top three players in the world right now are from South Korea. It would be, because uh, that's kind of the one of the arguments, right? About the President's Cup. It's been a lot of people think it's kind of, I don't know if boring is the right word, but it doesn't have that Ryder Cup feel. There's, it's yeah. been pretty one-sided, right? So they're like, if you made it a mixed event, you could, like you said, level it out. It would at least, it should be at the very least more competitive. Mm -hmm. And then you have the chance to see the women, like how good they are. Because you get to see your favorite male, or the male audience gets to see their favorite male players. And then while they're at it, oh, I didn't know that this player is this good. And like, oh my gosh, did you see that hybrid they hit? Because I do love, I think one of the first male players I remember speaking up, being a big advocate is Jeff Ogilvy. Mm -hmm. He's written some great stuff too. Um, he, he made a comment along the lines of, there is, like the women hit hybrids better than I could ever dream of. Like something, something like yeah. that. And it is unbelievable. I do remember, <laughs> Kent will give me a, maybe a little jab. I somehow um, bring up Lydia Cohen almost every time we talk. But one of the, <laughs> one of my earliest memories of watching her play, just young teenage Lydia is like, obviously she's not the longest player, but she would stick these hybrid, like it didn't matter if she had a three wood or one of her hybrids or how far she was, she's still putting on the green, like 15 feet away. And it's like, how, how do you do this? Well, I mean, MB Park, I like, I think of MB, like she's, you know, she got her 20th win in February. The fact that she didn't win again floored me. 
Like, <laughs> what? I mean, if you watched her when her and, um, I'm going to say, I can't think of her, oh, Pernilla, Pernilla Lindbergh, at, you know, with that eight-hole playoff, like, she just looked, like, she's so good from five iron and back. I'm like, dude, like, and I don't hit very far. So I'm over here like, I, I don't know if I can do this. Cause like, if you don't hit it as far, it, it it's much more of a challenge, but yeah, like it, it, yeah. The hybrid and the, the long iron game that a lot of women have, is just astounding. Like it's absolutely almost, it's almost wrong. Like it's almost like, this is too, like, it's almost unfair of how good, how good they are from that yardage. It's cause they have, I mean, it's cause they have to be, you, you know, you're playing some 420 par fours in the wind. Like you got it. If you ain't piping it, you got to hit your hybrids well, but yeah, that's who Lydia yeah. MB, a lot of hybrid action from those two. And, and when you're talking about NB also, I would just love to see her cause you distance we all get that like the men hit it further that's that is true but on the greens it that is where it becomes an even playing field and i think a lot of people i've said it like there's tiger i think in like prime tiger his putting unbelievable but nb is the best putter i've ever seen yeah and actually getting to see that like for real he can say that but actually seeing her go up against on the same like the same event as the men and watching her like drain all these putts would oh, be amazing well imagine and- an alternate shot Ooh. with bryson DeChambeau and an american female player and nb park <laughs> and an international men player and both of them teeing off on the same hole it would be- <laughs> bryson's roughly doubling her distance <laughs> find a way to win because they're using nb's pipe <laughs> well and the thing about it's funny sarah kemp um who's from australia did was my five of the nine interview this week and she pointed that out she goes if you watch her she doesn't ever get down and like really look at putts but you just you just watch her over the course of a round she just walks up and hits it like she she's like she has she just sees it she's like and i can't explain it i've watched it i've played with it she's like i don't even know like i, like, I can't explain it to you but that's what she does and it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. But if you don't know that, if you don't know how good of a player and how nice of a person MB is, like, okay, are you going to engage with that? But, dude, MB and freaking Bryson, <laughs> it was sad. <laughs> I would put, I'm going to put $5 on it right now. If they went head to head, MB would win. Ooh, there's a lot there's, of that I depends on the tease. It, it a lot on the tees if they're playing from the same distance i'm sorry i, I hey, i'm gonna go ahead but distance I, analytics matters i i do want to say though in this case can you see a scenario where nb hits three wood from the rough into the water like three times in a row and <laughs> ends up like essentially kind of imploding oh, i did the <laughs> highlight for that tournament i've really i did feel bad for him i was like this is just we've all i've done that like we've all been there and it's just like you just keep you've got to hit the shot because you know you can hit the shot and you just keep and then you kind of forget you're in tournament but yeah we all have we all have tin cup inside us somewhere oh my gosh i it's so far deep in me it was funny i was playing a turn playing around with my buddy um getting chris datris and I was playing good. Like I felt really good. I came off, I had three putted the hole before, but I was like, I'm fine. Everything's great. I almost hold it two holes ago. We're great. Everything's great. So, yeah, I set up on this par five 
hit it right. I'm under a tree and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to hit my three, my stock three wood down the right center. And then I'll have like a, a decent amount of distance. Well, homegirl forgets that she hits a draw quite often with said three wood. So I guess I didn't aim enough right, but I hit it in the water. So I dropped and instead of just like playing out and playing safe, I was like, oh, I can hit this hybrid from this thing and like almost cold top to hybrid. Like I hit it so bad. I walk off that hole with an 11 because I just could not let it go. It's <laughs> like, just, just play out, just go to, just hit your seven iron. I was like, nope, I can hit this hybrid, hit this hybrid. And I hit it twice in the water. <laughs> it's like, mm, Sarah. So. I think it, that, that's the thing about envy for me. I think we, like all of us, like everybody else has that in us. And then it's hey, hard ben, for me ben, to. Ben, Ben, I got to cut you off. We, oh, no. we have sinned again. Hall of, oh, Famer, Hall of NB Famer, Park. <laughs> yes, Hall of Famer, NB Park. Yes, that's one other thing. We have to make sure we give acknowledgement to the Hall of Famers. Um, yes, Hall of Famer, NB Park. I, I just can't, it's hard for me to imagine. I'm sure that she does at some point in her career have like in a nine. But it's hard for me to picture like a scenario where it happened. You know, like just the way her demeanor, the way she carries herself, her decision making. It seems so calculated all the time. And yeah, I don't know. If if Emmy Park's listening, uh, nine in her career. <laughs> but, See if you're, uh, you're if you're like the rest of us at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Sarah, the 2021 brings the Solheim Cup again. Time has been very warped, very weird to think about. I'm just confused that it's January. It feels like December 50th of 2020 but it's interesting going mentioned that we might talk about this and going through there's a decent amount of roster turnover they're both looking at about five players out of 12 being replaced from the the obvious one who won't be coming back is the player whose call whose last put is the intro to this show suzanne Pedersen. what are you thinking about for Solheim 2021 and are there any up-and-comers in particular that you want to see make their debuts this year yeah, I think it's, you know, you're never going to replace that. I mean, what a way to just walk out, like make the final putt, win the Solheim Cup, go up to Lisa Corum, being like, I'm out, I'm retiring. And she's like, wait, what? <laughs> she's like, yeah, I'm done. Like, I'm, I, I don't want to play golf anymore. I, I have a kid. I'm ready to be a mom. I, it's going to be interesting. I was looking at the, the standings already. Um, for both squads I'm glad to see Mel Reed back I'm hoping Mel Reed hangs on and, and hopefully gets another win this season it was great to watch her finally break out last year it was really cool because I think she's somebody that has deserved it for a while and I think she's got some serious star power as far as women's golf is concerned I think she's so dang likable she's very relatable um, and I, I really like her um, her demeanor I like her aggressiveness I like you know her in that match play setting so I'm excited to see her hopefully going to be on course instead of um, on heads with and being a, a coach like she was um, or a captain, excuse me. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. I'm curious to see um, Emily Christine Pedersen. I know she had played before. I want to say it was in 14 or 16 maybe, but, you know, rolling off three wins in the L um, let, you know, like absolutely just slayed the tour this year. Um, she's one I'm excited to kind of get to watch because I haven't gotten to watch her much. I, you know, I wasn't really familiar with her story until this year. And I know she's played in a Solheim before, but I'm excited to kind of see her, her come out. And as far as the women go, I mean, 
I don't think there's going to be as much turnover for the women as you'd think. I would imagine Stacey Lewis, I would imagine Brittany Lincecum are going to get, you know, make their way back onto that team. I, I can't see them. You know, I can't see Pat Hurst not picking Stacey. Stacey actually said in an interview recently that, you know, she's like, yeah, you know, when I, when I won at AIG, I think she was considering me as a, you know, to be an assistant captain. And then, you know, I went in Scotland or not AIG, excuse me. I went in Scotland and, and she had to like make some different choices. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping to see, you know, Stacy back. I'm hoping to see Lindsay come back. Um, I know, I mean, obviously you're going to see Lexi, the quarters and Kang play. Um, I think those will be pretty much stalwarts, but I'm curious to see who else runs on the squad. Um, if those two vets don't play their way back in, I think Amy Olson would be a fun one to watch. I think there's some, I think, you know, you look at her and she's very kind and sweet and very nice, but there, I feel like there's some fire in her and I'd love to see her in that kind of match play situation from that standpoint. I think she'd have a lot of pull. I think she'd have a lot of fire. Um, and then I don't, you know, do you captains pick Christy Kerr? Like, I, you know, with, with her, I mean, she's USA all day, baby. So <laughs> it'd be curious to see how, how Pat actually rounds up that team. Cause I think you, you know, you have a good representation of the young contingency, but I think you've got some, some stalwarts and some vets that are starting to earn their way back and are starting to play their way back. And I'll be honest, if, if she doesn't captain spit Christie, I'd be surprised. So I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious. I, you know, it's, it's also going to be weird to have them in back-to-back years um, with the calendar, the calendar moves. So I'm very excited. I mean, I love, I love the Solheim cup. So we'll, um, we'll definitely see, but there's, there's quite a few players that I'm interested to watch um, over the course of the season and see where, see where they end up. It's interesting. You're advocating for some old guard to return. You know, Jennifer Cup chose the top of the world ranking. It has a pretty good gap there for those world ranking spots, unless Team USA switches how they pick, like Team Europe did earlier, where Team Europe went from four captains picks to six. Team USA just has two, to your point. It does make a lot of sense. A pandemic-ridden two-year stretch to have more captains picks. But I'd be a little bit surprised to see Lince come occur make the team just because there's just so much like younger talent uh, and that the obviously Linscombe couldn't make it at 19 to having Emery, but yeah. you know, that's where they could have used a, a curve veteran presence, even though she was missing a ton of cuts going into it. Yeah. Um, and maybe that faith in curve may have paid off like Suzanne Pedersen faith had, but you know, She's ben, also- where are you, ben, where are you at? Where am I at? Oh, well, yeah, what do you I was, think? I was going I was going to say I am here. Well, I was <laughs> going to say that actually I'm kind of leaning with Sarah on at least one of these picks because I went through a personal well, that's not my personal experience, but a process in the 2017 Solheim Cup when Jessica Corda had to pull out due to injury, Julie Inkster had to make another pick to replace to replace her and that was Nelly, Nelly court is rookie year and Nelly had been playing pretty solid to me. I was like, you should pick Nelly, like get, she's on the rise. Like she's a long hitter. She's like, she was playing really well. And Julie ended up going with picking Paula and Paula had, she'd really not been playing too great. Um, especially in 2017, especially based on her previous experience or play in Earlier in her career, like this was not a good stretch of time for her, not her best, but she ended up picking Paula. And I don't think I was alone on like uh, Paula, like she hasn't, she's not really 
in the zone right now. But if you look at what happened that week, I think I believe Paula ended up getting paired with Austin Ernst, who was a rookie that year, a rookie Swan Cup team member that year. And she played, Paula played incredible. Like she rises to these, she loves these team events and she ended up being a great role model um, and mentor and inspiration, I think, to a lot of the team. So my point being that sometimes it's even deeper than just how someone's playing, but what they can do to help bring the best out of everybody else. So bringing like a Christy Kerr, who like Sarah said, like USA all the way. Yeah, there's not many more. Like, can you think about U.S. women's golf and like team aspect? Christy Kerr like immediately comes to mind. Um, I know that she's is getting like later into her career, but we'll see how she does. I I think that that would a pick like that would make some sense though. Well, and you look at you look at what they did with Suzanne Pedersen. I I remember when she got picked, people were mad, <laughs> like <laughs> mad, 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 like why is this happening? Where is this coming from? This doesn't make any sense. Like all of this stuff. And sorry, you're, you're, you're wrong. <laughs> like you were wrong. <laughs> like it, you know, it worked out in their favor. And I think too, you know, I, you know, I, I was thinking about um, Allie Ewing, Allie McDonald, but now Allie Ewing and, you know, have what would happen with her in, in, in 18, you know, like you're going to have a lot of players on this squad that are vets. And I just don't know, I just don't know how much help you're going to need from the rookies. Like, I just don't know if you're going to need a lot of rookies because you're going to have a lot of people that have already been there, done that. Like, it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes for sure. But yeah, I, I, I just, I would say to the, you know, to a, a more seasoned person pick, don't forget about what happened with Suzanne Pedersen because people were so mad and it ended up being the best story of that year or one of the best stories of that year. It's one of the funniest parts of sports right if Suzanne misses that putt a completely different narrative oh, and it's one putt it was completely different because winning has to matter yeah. so and on team Europe side the the four players in the Rolex world rankings that are in right now are going to make the team one way or another Carlo de Saganda that was that was a lock the day after the 2019 Solheim Cup be yeah. a pop-off winning a major which is weird to say that's a lock because Pernilla Lindbergh did the same thing, but yeah. then didn't make the team. You've got Charlie Hole, Mel Reed. I was a little surprised Georgia Hall wasn't in that list, but she's going to make the team one way or another. It's you know going down the list. It feels like yeah, Georgia Hall, Celine Boutier, Anna Nordquist, Madeline Sagstrom won earlier in uh, twenty. Uh, Azahara Munoz feel like those are five maybe you could say Munoz maybe then you're kind of jammed on a, a last captain's pick uh Quartz Madsen and Van Dam, Bronte Law who's been a little bit AWOL with her game in the last year uh, Caroline Masson there's it's tough decisions for Katrina Matthew to make well and I think I th- me if it were me and it's not but if it were I think Van Dammer Law, just because Law has that same quality that Suzanne kind of has. She has that, she could, I, I feel like in a, in a locker room, she's the one that's getting you fired up. She's very spunky. She's got a lot of personality. I think she, I mean, you saw her reaction when they freaking, like she's in it and she's in for the right reasons. Um, the thing is, is Van Dam such a good competitor too. And, you know, I can't remember exactly where she finished at CME, but she's playing pretty well. Like it's not, you know, and I, I, I really, 
come back to me. Maybe I'll come back in September. We can talk about this, but, um, or I guess in August or maybe even late July, but I think it's going to be very telling to see this year unfold because last year was so weird because last year presented so many different challenges for so many different reasons. You're going to see a lot of things happen that I don't think you expected to see. And the interesting thing with Van Dam is she's third in the LET points right now, and they're taking yeah. two from that category. So she can play her way in and make that decision a lot easier. It's it's hard to ignore her distance, too. I remember that was the tiebreaker as to why or what the U.S. was really excited about with Angel Yin in 2017. Like, oh, she can hit it 330. Okay, goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you, I mean, it's so much, it's so much about personality. It's so much about who plays well with who. Um you know, you have to, I know Inkster's done the pod system and, you know, it's, it's so much about compatibility as much as it is about the golf. And I think if you can get to people that can elevate, like, I think, you know, I'd love to see um, Mel and and Van Dam together. Like if that could be a a team pairing, just because they're both uber competitive, they're both very intense and I think they can elevate each other. I think it just, you know, from a captain's pick standpoint and Katrina knows what she's doing. So she'll be fine. But like, it's, it'll be interesting to see who, I mean, I'd like, you know, like not to bring it back to the Americans, but Chrissy Kerr and Lexi Thompson play really well together. Like, do you have anybody else that's going to play that well with Lexi? I mean, I think it's the same way on the, on the European side. It's like, you kind of have to match people, you know, or Celine Boudier and Carlotta Saganda, are they, are they a match? You know, like you got to kind of figure out who plays well with who um, over the course of the prep work. But it's going to be a battle. I think it's probably more evenly squared than it was last year as far as we, where we stand right now. Um, but I'm excited. Like, <laughs> I, you the know, this club's going to be fun. Yeah. It's well, and that's another reason why I want Stacy to make it is because it's like, she is such, like she's an Ohio girl and like, that's her area. And like, that would be super freaking cool. <laughs> just to, <laughs> yeah. to have, Especially if we have fans back at that oh. point, but it's going to be a really interesting year for the Solheim cup. And then we get to flip around and have it, the same like the same time the next year so we you know you get to kind of have it double dose and pretty short amount of time no i'm i'm just i'm really excited and looking forward to it too i think that the solheim cup in general so in 2017 that's like the like the fifth event i ever went to lpj event i ever went to and it was just unbelievable i i still to this day like I've been to NBA games, I've been to Major League Baseball games, NFL. Like it's the greatest sporting event I've ever been to. Just I can't. The first tee vibes are unreal. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it as well. And and like you said, this this year is just going to be, I think, another of like 2020. There's so many question marks all over the place. Like what's going to happen? Are we going to play this event? Are we not? I think this year is going to be some of the the same, um, especially at this early part. But same thing too, like protocols. What if some players have to miss events and then they don't, they're not able to qualify or get qualifying points they need. Like it'll be really, there's just so much more than I think normal, like so much more than normal things you have to think about. Like, oh, someone like on the borderline of making the team based on points. And they need like a good finish, like a top 15 finish. This event's going to help push them in or something. Oh, well, they're, they tested positive for COVID and they're going to have to miss yeah. this event. Like, oh, so there's just like a lot, some drama on top of drama, like the good kind, kind of bad too. But <laughs> anyway, it's just going to be a very interesting year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. 
And we'll have to have you back, Sarah, to take a look at these loose predictions. None of us put anything down in pen. <laughs> You're all kind of beating around that. <laughs> but we'll look forward to having you back around this whole Heim Cup later on this year. And obviously, appreciate all your time and looking forward to having you on again soon. Thanks for having me. And I really appreciate it. It's, it's cool to see two guys this interested in women's golf. So I appreciate what you all are doing and keep it up. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. It's, it's been a lot of fun hearing your perspective from all from playing side, from production side, from writing side. It's been it's been really fun. Thanks. I appreciate it. Mr. Ben, we'll talk to you. Sounds good, Kent. Talk to you soon.